You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. six people who said they're never coming back here after they heard me last week. Anyway, it was, it was really fun. I want to tell you, it was really fun. And uh, it's really good to be here again. Um, and let's, let's just pray. Ask God to guide us. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And as we see what you're saying and hear what you're saying, We just pray for your Holy Spirit to lead us into a deeper walk with you, more obedient to your word, not because we have to, but because we see how there's life in your word and there's life in your way. You are the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife and I have been married for 45 years. And we have issues. (laughs) In fact, we have irreconcilable differences. People use that excuse to get into a divorce. We have irreconcilable differences. Um, Let me tell you something, folks. I want to help you with marriage. If you get married, you will have irreconcilable differences. That's why we pastors say, for better or for worse, for richer, or for poorer in sickness and in health, because human beings have irreconcilable differences. The beauty of marriage is that you get to learn. You get to, you get to learn how to, how to love and live with someone who is very different than you are. And that means you've got to get Jesus to come into your relationship. See? I mean, it's the way God has made us. We've had issues. Um, we had, uh, I don't know what the issue, but, but you know, was it, I, I wrote a book on marriage. It's called Learning to Love the One You Marry. And we were into some issue, and I, I told Marilyn, read the book. <laughs> and she said, no. <laughs> I hate your books. Anyway, I didn't, I didn't do that. But, you know, it, it's just... Just because somebody is a pastor, just because someone is in Christian leadership doesn't mean that they've mastered the art of anything. We're on a journey together. And uh, preaching is hypocrisy. And I love, what Hem- Henry, I love what Henry Nouwen said in one of his books. He's a spiritual life writer. He said, uh, preaching is, is hypocrisy because we are talking about something that is so much bigger than all of us added up together. We're, those of us who are spiritual, speaking God's word. You know, we're, we're in the journey with you. So my wife and I, we, we were having an issue and it, you know, it came to a place where, you know, we needed to talk to somebody and it was an evening, I don't know, after dinner, or maybe I was tired. I'm sort of gnarly at the end of the day. And, and so, I, so I called my friend Al Els, who is a counselor, uh, and his wife Susan is just delightful. My wife loves her and Al has been an incredible blessing in my life. He has really helped me process my life, deal with uh, issues, deal with myself. 
the hardest person I've ever lived with is me. And uh, Al has really helped me with that. And um, so I called him, and he's a counselor. I mean, he had a counseling uh, practice. And uh, people in counseling, they don't, you know, they don't take evening phone calls. You got to have some, you got to have some privacy. But Al, Al said, "Come on over. We'll just talk to you tonight." And uh, that was, it's amazing. We've been good friends. They're part of our church. So we went over, and you know, I, I, um, I had, I had a case. You know, I've got a little bit of lawyer in me. I had, I had handouts with fill in the blanks, and um, and Marilyn's kind of quiet, and and so Al. I knew as I was in trouble when Al said to me, hey, brother, uh, I want you to step out on the front porch with me. You know, I knew he wasn't going to say to me, your wife is so wrong. I, somehow I knew he wasn't going to say that. And he put his hand on my chest, which he does, and it's kind of, I feel, find it annoying. But uh, I'm, I'm German, you know. I, I'm, I'm not always real touchy-feely. And... Uh, you heard about the German farmer in Minnesota. He loved his wife so much, he almost told her. <laughs> anyway, Al puts his hand on my chest, and he just says one thing to me. He says, brother, you're going to have to let this go. You're going to have to let this go. And I, you know, I just knew he was speaking the word of the Lord. You know, it's just, you know, we, we make, you know, people talk about making a mountain out of a molehill. We, we get onto something and we can't let it go. And we make ourselves miserable and we make the people we love miserable. And Al, Al said, you got to let it go. And I, I didn't argue with him. I didn't say, yeah, but I just knew Something had to happen inside of me. I had to let it go, and I let it go. Now, it didn't solve all the irreconcilable differences, and we've had differences in conflict since then, uh, but, you know, it didn't resolve everything. But that night, it just, there, was a there was a resolution in me, and uh, I, we walked out of there. You know, we prayed together, and we walked out of there. I can't even remember what the issue was, but I'll never forget what he said to me, that it wasn't about fixing my wife. You know, all the people in your life can be exactly, exactly the way you want them to be, and you still won't be happy. Because it's about what's going on inside of you. And so what Al told me is what I've come to call the sacred art of letting go. And I believe that it's perhaps the most important thing we can learn in life it's actually the essence of faith, ruthless trust in God, because when you let go, you have nowhere else to go except to God. In fact, people say, let go and let God, right? Let go and let God. And I want you to know, as I talk about letting go today, I'm not just talking about just letting go. I'm talking about the other part of it as well, because to let go is a step of faith. It's a huge step of faith. It's embedded in the principle, letting go is embedded in the principle symbol of the Christian faith. What is the symbol of the Christian faith? The cross. You know, when you're nailed to the cross, it's hard to hold on to anything. Is that right? And last week we talked about, in part one, we talked about 
Christ on the cross, and today I want to talk about you on the cross. And that's, it doesn't seem like it's good news, but how you do it is good news because it's about Jesus. So part two is you on the cross, all right? So Jesus is our example, and the cross, more than anything else, is about letting go. It was for Jesus, and it should be for us. Jesus is our example. Number one, he let go when he was born, when God became flesh. We have this kind of doctrinal idea. We understand the incarnation, God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus came to earth, and he died on the cross for us. And it just becomes rote. We don't really penetrate the incredible depths of what this means. Um, I was writing a book. I wrote a book on praise and worship, and I was talking about how it's not just what you do or how you do it, but it's really about penetrating God and knowing God and experiencing God. And it hit me, this whole idea of Jesus becoming flesh and saving us from our sins, that my sin not only sent Jesus to the cross, but my sin effectively raped the Trinity. My sin ripped the Trinity apart. So this eternal Godhead, this eternal community, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, somehow has to be torn apart. God becomes flesh in the person of his Son. Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus takes our humanity back into the Godhead. It's mind-boggling. So Jesus is our example of letting go when he was born, when God became flesh. Look what the Bible says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. How many of you have had an attitude? At least once in your life, you know, you've had an attitude. Okay, so how do we align our attitude? We align our attitude with Jesus. Are you wearing a cross? I talked to lots of people after the service. They had a cross on. And if you're wearing a cross, put your hand on the cross. You're a follower of Jesus, right? Okay, so uh, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be what? What's the opposite of grasping something? Letting go. So he didn't hold on to stuff, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself God humbling himself what does this mean he humbled himself and became obedient to death not just any death but death on a Roman cross where his body is nailed to pieces of wood and suspended until he dies of, of asphyxiation or, or just trauma. It was, it's considered to have been one of the worst torments, the worst way possible to die. And so Jesus is God, and he does this. So he let go. He let go of his godness, of his divinity, of his deity, of all of his power. Like he said to Pontius Pilate, I can call 10,000 angels, but I won't. So number two, he let go when he died. He let go when he was born, and he was born to die, and he let go when he died. And this, I think, is one of the most important 
passages of, of the Bible. We're going to look at, at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. And there are passages in the Bible that they're just more powerful than other parts of the Bible. And there are passages of the Bible that are sort of disconcerting. They're, they're, they can be upsetting to us. And so maybe we don't you know, ponder those parts of the Bible. You know, does anybody here have a, pom- a promise box or you have an app on your phone where a Bible verse pops up every day? Anybody have that? All right. The people who create those never put in Bible verses that are unhappy, by, not like bad Bible verses. They only put in the good Bible verses. Okay, so you got a promise box, and here's a Bible verse. Judas went out and hanged himself. So you pull it out. That's your promise for today. So they only put the good ones in there, all right? So some of these, I don't know that they actually end up in Bible promise boxes or apps, but anyway, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 says this, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? Some people... All of us have difficulty when we're punished or we're disciplined for doing something wrong, we object. It's hard to take responsibility when you're wrong. There's always a reason why you're wrong. And if anybody else was in your position, you, they too would have done the wrong thing. So we, we, all, we, we sidestep issues. And so uh, it says... That, you know, if, if you do something wrong and you just take full credit of it, kind of like full credit for it, and you just ask for forgiveness, kind of like Donald Trump. Um, anyway, I know I, all, the Trump, all the Trump supporters have not come back because I mentioned him last week, too. But anyway, if, if you take full responsibility, it's not to your credit. And, we, you know, we feel, oh, wow, I'm really following Jesus. I, t- I took responsibility for the bad things I did with no excuse. And, and if you... If you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. This is your calling. Not just to be miserable, because all of us human beings are miserable from time to time. My wife and I went to Disneyland. It's miserable at Disneyland. Okay. <laughs> They say it's the happiest place on earth. And I, I heard a mother yelling at her child, shut up! And children were crying and the happiest place on earth. I started to cry, you know. <clears throat> and uh, so, you know, everybody, human beings, how many of you have been miserable at least once in your life? Okay, hallelujah. Okay, so anyway, uh, to this you were called not, to, not just to be miserable, but to be miserable in a positive way, if that makes sense. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. In other words, the way Jesus lived his life has, should be an example to us how, on how to deal with miserable situations in our life. Everybody, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, um, Zika virus mosquitoes don't just bite unbelievers, okay? I just sort of, sometimes it's just random. And, and the difference for us is not the suffering, you know, that we, you know, if we could become Christians, now we're not going to suffer. No, no mosquito, no Zika virus mosquito is going to bite me because I'm a Christian. 
It's what we're able to do because God is with us, no matter what happens to us. You know, the Apostle Paul says this. Someone came up to me after the last service and said, that was the most important thing I said in the whole message because they just lost their loved one. The woman just lost her husband. And I said, the Bible says, we sorrow. When someone dies, we sorrow, but not like those who have no hope. In other words, our relationship with Jesus brings us into a different approach to the whole matter of human suffering. No testing, the Bible says, for the moment seems joyous but grievous, but afterwards it yields the peace, peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who are exercised and, uh, by it. And Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet with various trials. The Bible doesn't say be happy. It says the joy of the Lord is your strength, but it doesn't say be happy. So we have something that we learn from Jesus, and we don't just learn it from him like he's a school teacher. We learn it from him because he's in us. And he's in us to help us respond as he responded. But sometimes our carnal nature doesn't want that to happen. We want to be bitter, and sometimes we want to be bitter and angry for years. So how did Jesus respond? So Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. In other words, if anybody had the right not to suffer, it was the Son of God. But when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. When he got cut off on the freeway, he didn't do what you do. Amen? Okay. He made no threats. Instead, and this is his example, this is the master key to all of life. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Let go and put it into his hands. That, that is such a powerful statement. And it's not just a life idea. It's not just a good way to live your life. It, it is a way to release divine power into your life and into your circumstances. You give it to God. And Jesus gave it to God to the very end, to the bitter end, as he was being nailed, as they were pounding rough, rusty spikes through his wrists and his ankle bones. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It was for them, but it was also for him. So you can hang on to your anger, you can hang on to your bitterness, but it's just misery for you. And God has, has given us not just a way out, he's given us himself as the one who carries us out. Did I say this earlier? Maybe I said this in the first service. When you reach the end of your rope, you know, you're hanging on and you can't hang on anymore and you finally let go. You'll find that the loving arms of God are right there to catch you. And he's waiting for you to let go. But when you don't let go, you're getting in his way. And he's not able, you're not enabling him. You're not allowing him to do it his way. You know, your kids, you know, kids, they want to do something. I can do it. I can do it. I, you can't. They can't do it, right? And you just say, okay, do it. And then they crash. 
And they say, Mommy, help me. And you say, praise the Lord. All right? So this is from the message. This is the kind of life that you've been invited into. The kind of life that you've been invited into. The kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so that you would know that it could be done and also how to do it step by step. He never did one thing wrong. Not once said anything amiss. They call him every name in the book and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. And what did Jesus do? He lived this out to the last moment of his life. He shouted on the cross, Luke 23, 46, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. This is the old saying, let it go and let God. And yet the sacred art of letting go is not the same as giving up. It's really important for me to make that distinction. Letting go doesn't mean giving up. Okay, instead it's the art of giving in. Realizing that as much as you'd like to do something about a situation that's driving you crazy or hurting you deeply, you realize you are helpless. And yet it's at that moment of helplessness that has the potential, that moment of helplessness has the potential to set you free and change you forever. Simply stated, you're not in control, God is. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, he let go. Before his crucifixion, he begged the Father to change the course of his life. He said, Father, if it be thy will, take this cup from me. And God said, no. God was silent. And Jesus said, okay. Okay. He did what he could. The rest was up to God. He embraced the sacred art of letting go. In fact, Jesus affirmed and established this sacred art. As Peter tells us, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. It couldn't be clearer. Jesus just said, okay. How many of you are raising children or you've raised children or you've seen children? <laughs> How many of you have said at least once to, your, once to your child, don't do that? How many of you have done that? Come on, how many? Okay, and, and you know, like my grandchildren, my, my, my children always just said, oh, dad, okay, I didn't know that was wrong, and, and we'll move on from here, and, and this won't be a problem in our relationship. Anybody have kids like that? Are you kidding me? Okay. And, you know, what I said to my kids, <laughs> if I said this once, I said it a thousand times, just say okay. Do children have an easy time saying okay? Do you know why? They're smarter than we are. They know if you say okay, you die instantly. You just die. Some disease just comes into your life and you, you fall dead. You know. Why is it that children have such a hard time saying okay? Just say okay, mommy. Praise the Lord, they just spoke in tongues. You know, they just got the Holy Ghost. You know, you, you can, and they can't, and they got to say, say you're sorry to your brother. Say you're sorry. Say it in a normal voice. 
You know, you, it's, like, it's like they go, their, their soul freezes up. It's like my computer when it doesn't respond when I hit the return button, you know? It's like, just say okay. My, um, my daughter and her husband have four children. They live in Denver. The kids are, they've always been two years apart. It's kind of weird. And, um, and they are, there's so much conflict in their house sometimes, you know, and it's just, they just cause conflict. I mean, it's like they're looking for conflict. And, and you know, adults step in, I step in, and the next thing I know, I'm in the conflict, you know, and uh, I don't know how to get out of it. And I call, I call for my daughter to help me, you know, it's, and my wife and I, when we come home from Phoenix, sometimes we'll drive right to the, from the airport to our, our psychiatrist, you know, because, you know, it's like, we, we taught, we love to be with him, but Marilyn would just say, or psychiatrist, or we go to Mikhail's and have a margarita, you know, it's like, <laughs> because on the plane, a margarita is like 12 bucks. So, you know, you, you know, it's like, and I've said, I've said to them, and I hear my daughter saying, just, just say, okay, mommy. They make a face, you know, they gnash their teeth. The problem is that when we become adults, it's still just as hard to say okay. I, uh, I had a guy on my staff in Phoenix, and he had a very successful ministry in our church. He had been there for several years. He was doing great, but we were making a decision that he disagreed with, and he obsessed about it, and he wouldn't let it go. And I had him in my office. He didn't report to me. You know, he reported to somebody who reported to somebody who reported to me. We had 75 people on our full-time staff. But, I, you know, I, and it was my, you know, as a friend and as a brother, I'm, I brought him into my office. I said, bro, you got to just let this go, you know. Uh, I, you know and, I, and I said to him, and I'll never forget, I said to him, just say okay. And he said, well, you're the boss. You can do whatever you want. He couldn't say, okay, you're the boss. You can do whatever you want. So I did. I fired him. <laughs> it was easier for him to get fired than it was for him to say, okay, and let it go. Because after he was in my office that week, more things emerged, and he was still on this obsession. And I had, he left me no option but to fire him. And he has never fully recovered his ministry from that. And we were friends. We just had dinner with him couple months ago. And he's, he tells people, I'd rather be Gary's friend than work for him. <laughs> well, sometimes I'm going to tell you, just say, okay, it's okay. It's not, it's not the end of the world. But as, as adults, we just don't know how to give in. We, we, you know, we think it's giving up. And there's a pride issue, and there's an ego issue. And this is what it means to take up your cross. Jesus offers us an, an alternative reality where it's not about us. It's not about my ego. It's about giving it up and trusting God. And I have to tell you, my wife, she'd be the first to tell you, this has been a lifelong pro uh, process for me. I'm a type A personality. I've spent my whole life telling people what to do. And I, you know, I, I have inside of me, I, I just, uh, I'm kind of crazy sometimes. And when we went to De Disneyland, it took us, they were, we, we started at the north end with our car, and I, I was already kind of stressed. I can't remember what I was stressed about, but I'm often stressed about things. We drive, we had to drive, and we got to the parking lot. We're on the west side of Disneyland, or the one, the one side 
And the main parking is on the other side. So we drove, I think, uh, we so I'm trying to think south. We drove east around Disneyland, which is now miles and miles, to the parking lot on the other side. And they're diverting all the traffic away from the parking lot. And so we have, now we have to drive all the way around the other side of Disneyland. And then we have to drive to the south side of Disneyland and down a long street. And we had to park into a, in a dirt parking lot. And our, our parking space was the very back end of the parking lot. And I was losing it. Because I knew I was going to be in Disneyland and you know, I was going to spend a few seconds on the, on the rides and the rest of the day standing in line. So I got out of the car and I just started, Marilyn remembers this, I started singing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's an old chorus. It was written by a nun and, uh, or something. Anyway, uh, you know, and I'm telling you, I just felt a whole lot better. And, you know, you gotta, there's just some things you can't control. And I was really just, I was just, you know, I was just trying to say, okay, okay, okay. Put that up on the screen there. Just say okay. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, just say okay. <laughs> you know what's weird about that? It's just kind of a fun little thing to do. But some of you, when you hear that, there's something in you that just goes, oh. You know, it's about nothing. But there's something in you that doesn't want to say okay to nothing. Um, I, I did this in a church... One time there was, there was a man and a woman. They were not together. They were like, they had, there were three seats between them. And it was noisy and, because everybody was saying, telling people to say, okay. And I heard this guy say, I already said it. <laughs> That's a fact. And I pointed them out. You know, she had to say it twice and he didn't hear her. The woman, this woman, he didn't even know her. You know, just say, okay. And he says, I already said it. It's just crazy. You know, we just have this in us. God, have mercy. Okay. So here the Apostle Paul understood the sacred art of letting go. Look at Philippians chapter 4. I have learned to be content. And uh, what's the next word say? That is such a cool word. Whatever. Okay. It's a Bible word. I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength by give, letting go and giving it to God. There was a, a just say okay, you know, just, there, someone came up to me after the service, and they told me, that there's a Bible word for okay. You know what that word is? Amen. <laughs> you know, so the pastor preaches the word of God and people say, what do they say? Amen. Amen. You know what that means? It, so be it, and I will do it. That's what it means. So maybe instead of telling your children, just say okay, mommy, just say, just say amen, mommy. Okay, so... Because right now I'm God. Okay, so, all right. Look what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. 
Can any one of you, by worrying, by hanging on to something, add a single hour to your life? Can, it, can, that, can that happen? Can anyone of you, by being anxious or hanging on, by refusing to let go, change one thing about your present or future? Yes, you can change the world. There are some things you can do, should do, but what if you can't? It's the well-worn serenity prayer, and this is my way of saying it. Change what you can, let go of what you can't, and learn what the difference is. It, it, works, it works the other way, too. I mean, God's in this for you. You know, um, when you let go, it lets him work. Um, our youngest son, Matthew, uh, we have two boys, and they're 10 years apart. David is... He's 42, and Sherry's 40, and then Matt's 33. And Matt, he's a third-born. He's a sort, of a, a sort of an only child because our other kids were gone, you know, as he grew up. And, uh, and he's a musician. And so, and he's passive-aggressive. I'm aggressive. He's passive-aggressive. This is sparks and gas, matches and gasoline. And uh, as he got older, it was m more increasingly difficult for me to deal with him because he would always deflect me and he would say things like, this was his favorite, this was his mantra. He would say to me, Dad, it's no big deal. I mean, it's a big deal for me, that's why I'm raising, bringing up the issue. And he would basically say, Dad, it's no big deal. Because the more he said that, the more upset I got. And, uh, and so I didn't know what to do. It was really, it was, this was really getting to me. So I called Al <laughs> and uh, arranged a breakfast. And I told Al, I talked about the clash of our personalities. And, and uh, Al leaned across the table, put his hand on my chest. <laughs> and what do you think he said to me? Let it go. He said, brother, you got to let this go, you know, because your personalities can conflict. And at this point in Matt's life, the more you put pressure on him, the more he's going to distance himself from you. And it was like a miracle. I can say from that moment, I treated Matt differently. And we've got a fantastic relationship. And you know what else I discovered? Is that God actually deals with people when you stop dealing with them. So what did he do? He fell in love with a woman who is like his dad on steroids. Okay? <laughs> she has a personality like, like, like me. Praise the Lord. You know? And, uh, and actually, he's a blessing to her because she's so high-strung. And her, her father told me that when she's around Matt, she doesn't have, she doesn't have pain, a pain in her neck. There's something about Matt. He's got a gift. This, this, you know, it's a gift in his life, really. But to me, it wasn't a gift because he wasn't listening to me. But he's a gift to Kate. See? But Kate is also a gift to him. And they have to deal with their irreconcilable differences. And then you know what else Matt did? He joined the Navy, where everything is a big deal. How many of you guys have been in the military? How many of you guys who have been in, the, or women, have been in the military, you know in, in the military everything is a big deal? Except the things that are a big deal. The big things are really not a big deal, but the little things are a big deal. So uh, the way I look at that is that God is using the United States Navy to deal with my son. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a happy moment. You, you, you don't have to be miserable. You don't have to make them miserable. You, you let the Navy, they, the Navy can be miserable. But anyway, the Navy, the Navy has been the best thing that could ever happen to him. 
and they love him. He was, he was sailor of the, of the year this last year for his unit. And uh, his, you know, it was really interesting. His commanding officer said to me, we love your son. There's never any drama. Drama in the military. Can you believe that? Do you know why there's drama in the military? Because there are people in the military. And there are people who will not say okay unless they're threatened with a court-martial. Yes, sir. Okay, so, um, so I, I, I want to just wrap this up by, by talking about two other things, and I won't talk about everything that's in the notes here, but there are two things that I want to just bring it out. I want to bring this out in, in a, a deeper and more practical way. Uh, in the Old Testament, God actually had one of the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments was about letting go. Let's close in prayer as we draw near to the Lord. Uh. So easy for you to just sit there. I'm here to tell you what to do. You're not here to tell me what to do, okay? So, So anyway... God has one, one of the Ten Commandments is about God telling the Israelites to take a whole day to say okay. What, what is that commandment? Keep the Sabbath, rest, let go. The word Hebrew word for Sabbath actually means to pause. Have you ever had, had to say to somebody, hey, just, hey, just take a minute, take a deep breath, count to ten. The Israelites had to count to however high a number it took for them to count all day long. And let it go. It's, it, it's just, everything is in God's control. Now, we don't keep that commandment because Jesus is the commandment. He is our Sabbath. He says, come to me, all you that labor and are he- heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. So our Sabbath is in Christ. And so we don't, we're not just resting one day a week. We, we have an opportunity to rest in every moment, every difficult moment of every day. Now look at this. The Sabbath was to be a weekly discipline of letting go of your own efforts and instead trusting God. And uh, I want to drop down. Uh, we've got a couple verses. You can read those verses if you want from Exodus. But if uh, drop down to uh, slide, I think it's... Uh, slide 19 if you don't let it go and trust God it'll just kill you that's what God said to the Israelites if you don't take the Sabbath and rest we're gonna have to kill you so we don't kill people now they just kill themselves if you don't let God take over the situations that you're facing in your life you'll just die it'll kill you It'll be a long, slow, agonizing death. Uh, the medical profession tells us that something like 80% of all the reasons, all the people who come to for, see their family doctor uh, is some kind of ailment related to stress in their life. So the last thing I want to mention is that the Greek word for forgiveness, you know, this is so practical. 
forgiveness, the English word to me is meaningless. What does it mean to forgive? So your pastor says, you've got to forgive that person. Did you know that the Greek word for forgiveness, aphie me, which means I forgive, it's so simple. It means I let it go. It was a word that was used to describe archery and the release of an arrow. Let it go. So here's, here's your life. <sighs> so much pain in my life. So I'm holding a bow with an arrow and I'm shaking and quivering because of all the pain in all of my muscles. What are you going to tell me? Let it go. That's what the Greek word means. Let it go. Let it go. Let's stand together and let it go. There's a, if you go down to the last, well, you got the thing off. It's it, in the Amplified Bible. Mark 11:25 says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him and let it drop. Leave it. Let it go. That's, uh, that's from the Amplified Bible. Could you lift your hands to God? Heavenly, say this after me. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Forgive me for all the times I'm not trusting you. I want to let it go. Whatever it is, whatever, because it brings me freedom and it brings people around me freedom and you will fill me with your joy and your peace as I trust you ruthlessly in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.